This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is the self-scouting edition of the Bi-Week Pod. We're going to take a look at some of the 49ers tendencies. We're going to talk about some Jimmy Garoppolo. We're going to really take a look at the inside of the 49ers. And with me this week, trying to get an illegal pass out before the refs spot him, it's David Newman. Always. Always. Did you see that, Tom Brady? Like, the bets were out whether or not Tom Brady would forget the downs this year. And they <laughs> forgot a whole world of possibility that said that maybe Tom Brady was going to forget that he couldn't throw the ball forward twice. Uh, so I did not see that. I actually did not watch the Monday night game uh, this week, so I have not seen anything about this. It was a fun game. But look, the 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 lead of the joke should tell you exactly what happened. I mean, Tom Brady is is, I mean... There was a picture, I think, that I saw afterwards of him just kind of doubled over and looking down. Uh, and it looked like he was looking over the edge of the quarterback cliff that he is very quickly approaching. Because he he threw the ball and someone tipped it and it went right back into his arms. And he just thought like, let me throw it again. And he threw it again. And I mean, he completed it, which is to his credit, he completed it to Mike Evans. But it was uh, it was not a good look for Tom Brady. Yeah, that's against the rules. Them, them's the rules. It's it's been a week, man. Uh, I got there's been a toy apparently or a, a, a parental aid that's been around since like 1965 for babies uh, called the Jolly Jumper. Are you aware of this Jolly Jumper? I'm googling it right now. Please do. Um, I I was in a Jolly Jumper when I was a kid. It is seriously like tail as old as time. It's basically a hook that hooks over the door frame a spring and a pouch and you just let your baby bounce we discovered that uh our daughter loves that thing it's great really yeah and it's and it's awful to see like i mean you understand how tiny they are when you hold them and they're like very light and they're little uh but when they're standing next to you and they don't even clear your knee uh that it just it just puts their size in perspective um yeah i mean it's i mean it looks like it looks like a blast um i don't know i don't know if my daughter would love it or just completely fucking hate it and and just 
There are only two options. I mean, those are the only two options. There's no, like, I'm just going to sit here and deal with what's happening right now. Like, it's either pure joy or absolute hatred. Yeah, uh, much like our feelings about Jimmy Garoppolo is is the segue here. This this is what we're going to lean in. It's it's a self-scouting pod. What It's the bye week. There's no game to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about the Rams at the end of the episode. But what we're going to do this episode is really take a look introspectively at some of the things that the Niners are probably doing, that they're self-scouting. And, and it really begins and ends with the quarterback because what you do with Jimmy Garoppolo has a huge ripple effect for the franchise, thinking you found a quarterback has a huge ripple effect for the franchise and, and maybe understanding that maybe you don't also likewise has some outward effects. We're going to take a look at Jimmy Garoppolo. We're also going to talk about the fourth down uh, kind of calls and plays that the Niners have had so far this year. And we're actually going to take a look at the scope of all of Shanahan's play calling on fourth down since he became the coach in 2017. And then we're going to get to some quick hits and some, some Rams talk. So Let's let's get into it, David. Let's talk a little bit about Jimmy Garoppolo. We we teased it last week. Last week we talked about some of the questions the the team had to answer. This week we decided we were going to give the you know kind of a bigger place and some more room to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo because I think it's a discussion that requires a bit more space. And and really I think the the discussion begins with team production versus individual performance. Yeah, and I think it's the like one of the most difficult things to judge, um, you know, when when kind of looking at these players, right? Is is you? It's it's very easy to see, and I think this is kind of the place a lot of fans default to is like, hey, the offense is doing well, right? Especially you look at last year, right? The offense is producing at a high level. Um, they they rank very well in all of these team metrics, um, and so we we kind of assume that okay, well, that means like the players that are on there have to be performing well, right? And, and kind of everybody is is doing well in order for this team success to happen. I think especially with the quarterback position, like it's it's not always the case, right? Like depending on the scheme that you're in, depending on the talent that you have around you, there's a lot of other factors that can either kind of expose, you know, a bad quarterback or maybe hide him, right? Depending on just purely the environment. You may be looking at two quarterbacks with very similar talent level and and it's purely the situation that they're in is is kind of what's leading to these very different outcomes for their teams and their offenses jimmy garoppolo's production in san francisco i think bears some mention here because you you mentioned that he's been productive and he has been very very productive in his time as the quarterback for the 49ers since 2018 garoppolo ranks eighth in epa per play that is his performance independent of like Mullins and Beathard. That is Jimmy Garoppolo ranking eighth in expected points added per play and third in success rate. And he's won games. He's 24 and nine as the starter in San Francisco. And, and I think what a lot of fans would say, because I guess there's, there's a big fan debate right now about whether Shanahan's part of the problem or there's part of the solution, which is a bonkers discussion to me. Maybe we'll <laughs> spend some time there a little bit later, but yeah. It, it, the idea is like, look, if, if if Shanahan is so great and Garoppolo is so average, then why isn't he doing this with Nick Mullins? Why isn't he doing this with C.J. Beathard? Why couldn't he do it with Brian Hoyer? Why does it take Jimmy Garoppolo to go 24-9 and nine as a starter in San Francisco? Because none of those other quarterbacks are average. Those other quarterbacks are fucking bad. Like, 
That's that's I the was, difference. I was so waiting on Tenter's hooks to see exactly what you would say to that question. I was waiting for like the <laughs> the unique combination of of sass and and vitriol and just like, like look, <laughs> they're it, so bad. I was planning on I, like I, I felt like we were going to get to this more as, as kind of a wrap up piece, right? But like there there is a big difference between an average quarterback and a really shitty one. Um, and, and those other quarterbacks are like largely shitty. Yes. They have moments. Like if you're in the NFL, you're capable of moments where you look good, right? Like, I, I don't think there's like, I mean, okay, there's probably been some, but I think the, the wide, wide majority of quarterbacks that reach the NFL level, you're capable of like putting it together for a game or two, right? Or you wouldn't fucking be there to begin with. But on the whole, all of those other quarterbacks that he's had in San Francisco have been really, really bad. And Jimmy Garoppolo is not really bad. And so I think it's important to probably start there, right? Like we're going to spend probably a lot of time talking about things that don't look great for Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but that needs to be caveated with like, we, we do think he's an average quarterback, right? Like he, he is a solid player. He is better than a lot of alternatives that you can, uh, you know, end up with at that position. But yeah, I think when you start to kind of dig down into his performance, right? Like it does seem to be buoyed a lot by Shanahan and some of these other supporting cast things, right? So like, you know, I, I went and was looking at a, a, a ton of different quarterback splits and just seeing how he was, you know, performing in some of these different situations. And I think uh, some of the things that stuck out to me, like just a few quick ones, when you remove play action and screen passes, so you're looking at, you know, just largely your your regular drop back type passes there. Um, over, again, this is, all, all of this stuff is going to be since 2018, um, Jimmy Garoppolo ranks 31st of 34 in quarterback grade. Um, when you look at all of his throws over that stretch, he is dead last in average depth of target. So he's he is throwing on average the shortest passes, the what should be the easiest passes to complete um, on those throws. And he is getting the highest percentage of his yardage coming after the catch. When you look at his accuracy, right? We talk about accuracy being a huge, huge part of what makes a good quarterback. When you look at his throws in the short and intermediate area, which we know is, is kind of like the bread and butter in the Shanahan offense, he is, again, near the bottom of the pack when you look at those throws. And that's just, again, on all of them, 28th of 33 in, in ball location accuracy. It's also that bad when you're looking at him throwing to open receivers. So basically, however you split this up and decide to divide it up, like, the profile of Jimmy Garoppolo just screams average quarterback that is being supported by the scheme and players around him. Now, it, why do you remove play action? It, it's indicative of something that is not necessarily within the player's control. When, when you filter out plays like play action, what you're doing is you're saying, okay, now you're a drop back passer. Now it is more on you and it is incumbent on you quarterback to read the field, pick the right receiver, put the ball in accurate location, and make sure that you complete that pass or do everything within your power to complete that pass. Sometimes the ball just gets dropped. <clears throat> Kendrick Bourne. <clears throat> but you you can still you know do all of those things and not have a, a necessarily a good outcome, which is why ball location ac- accuracy matters. But there are lots of quarterbacks that are, that are in quarterback-friendly systems that are buoyed by play action. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I think Ryan Tannehill, another quarterback who's buoyed by play action. But I think that the that the idea though is, well, what happens when you when when play action breaks down? When you can no longer rely on play action, when you're down two scores, 
and you have to come back and, and the defense is not worried about you running the ball and they know you're going to pass, do you have the skills and the wherewithal to succeed in that environment? And I think that's where you begin to see some of the up and downs with the 49ers is that you, you just don't really trust them to come back down to scores where, I mean, Patrick Mahomes against the, the Raiders. You, you knew that you give him the ball with two minutes left and it's like, okay, the Chiefs are going to win this game. There was no question in anyone's mind. It was watching that, maybe some Raiders fans, right? But if you were watching that game with Mahomes going against the Raiders and they gave the ball back to Mahomes at the end of the game, everyone knew exactly what was going to happen because Mahomes executes when the ball is in his hands. And sometimes Jimmy Garoppolo does, but sometimes he doesn't. And it's that inconsistency, I think, that, that points you towards, okay, he trends more towards average than he does exceptional. And I think like it, it kind of comes down to like what quite like what is the end goal right what is what question are you asking here like are you trying to win like are you trying to be a uh are you trying to like basically replace the patriots all right as like a new like do you want to be a team that has super bowl aspirations every single year right or do you want to be a team that's like comfortable with like largely winning a good number of games provided you know you have this quarterback healthy and and things you know don't end up like this year where literally everything around him is crumbling and hurt um you know you're gonna win a lot of games in that situation right an an average quarterback and an excellent offensive play caller like Shanahan can win you a lot of games um the difference is like you said in those situations where you're suddenly going up against um, you know, a better quarterback, one of those truly elite quarterbacks. Like, I think it caps the ceiling when you have that average quarterback, right? Like, can you win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo? Absolutely. We, we saw them very nearly do that last year. But I think that path is more difficult. And so I think it kind of gets to this overall, like, how do you view the quarterback position, right? Like, there's obviously only a small number of guys um, that are that are out there in the world that can be a a, a truly like difference making player at that position where you know that absolutely you're going to be in Super Bowl contention or, or deep playoff contention as long as you have this guy on your roster but I think from an organizational standpoint you have to ask yourself like if we don't have one of those guys and we know that we don't have one of those guys now with Jimmy Garoppolo should we still be looking or or do we just try to do the best we can with him and, and know that it's difficult to find one of those guys and that we're probably not going to do a whole lot better right now like I don't know, like, I don't know the right answer there, but I think that's like kind of the question you have to ask yourself right now if you're the 49ers. Yeah, I don't know that the Niners are going to stop looking. I think the Niners know a little bit. They they already kind of felt this in the back of their mind, and I think now they're much more there. You don't flirt with Tom Brady if you think that you have the guy. And and the Niners absolutely did flirt with Tom Brady. Uh, they, they were They were peering at him while he was peering over the cliff. Uh, and and never their eyes shall meet, but but they absolutely did, and and I think that they and they were honest about that, and they said, yeah, we took a look, and we thought, you know what, in this moment, it's better to stick with Garoppolo, and I can't disagree with them um, necessarily. I can understand how they got there, but but I do think the team is going to look at every potential avenue to improve the quarterback position, and that may mean keeping Jimmy and drafting someone. It could see the 49ers going after a free agent. If they do, um, I, I think they probably end up cutting Garoppolo. We'll talk about that in a second. But is there anything from Garoppolo's last couple of games? Because at this point, he's on track to come back maybe um, kind of early to mid-December. 
from his ankle injury and he's fully healthy. Because I think if you're if you're a Garoppolo kind of like, yeah, no, he's the guy who took us to a Super Bowl. Like these guys don't grow on trees. You know, I lived through Ken Dorsey. I lived through just turn it over O'Sullivan. I, you know, I lived through all those things. And now I've got a quarterback that you can win a Super Bowl with. And you're talking about replacing him. Like for a lot of people, that's a hard pill to swallow. And, and I totally get that. I really do. And so if you're in that camp and you're like, all right, what are the things that you need to see from Jimmy in the last two, three, four games of the season that make you think to yourself, okay, maybe we are going to get back to what we thought 2017 Jimmy was. I don't know that there is anything there, right? Like it would take a, a really drastic departure from what we've seen from him. So like right now, kind of the way things have gone is we had this incredibly promising five game stretch when he first came over after the trade. And then what he's been since then is largely what we're talking about now, like a a largely inconsistent player um, that doesn't try to push the ball downfield hardly ever, um, isn't very good, you know, on the whole, I think, when he does try to do that and is, is suddenly like become a player that has shaky accuracy um, on even the the open, short and intermediate throws that, you know, the, this offense makes its living on, essentially. So, like the way that we generally approach things, right? I don't think like a, a small, you know, few game sample, right. Is really going to skew that. Like if he suddenly came out over this last stretch and he was playing, you know, like he looks like fucking Aaron Rodgers out there, then sure. Like, okay, maybe we, we need to pause for a second and reevaluate some things and, and see what's going on. But like the likelihood of that happening is obviously very low at this point. Like I think Right now, we have a pretty large sample of games of Jimmy Garoppolo as a starting quarterback in this offense. Like, I, I think we kind of know what to expect here. And, and anything that departs from that is going to be more of a surprise. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit like saying, oh, if this head coach loses this game, they're going to get fired. It's like, oh, winning this game is the decision that you're going to make? Like, it's like at the point at which you're considering firing them and they're on the precipice in this one game. Chances are a few games isn't really going to change, nor should it change that outcome. I think that it will be more difficult for the Niners to make a clear break or a clear decision based on the last couple of games. I think if he does come back and he gets back to 2019 Jimmy, the, the, what you do with Jimmy, I think, changes a little bit in 2021. Because I think the 49ers road is inexorably leading towards them having another quarterback on the roster that is not Nick Mullins and not C.J. Beathard that will push Garoppolo in some way, shape, or form. That, that is where these roads lead. What type of quarterback that is, I think, depends on what Jimmy can do at the end of this season or if he comes back at the end of this season. Because I think if, if he comes back and he is shaky, uneven Garoppolo and he's fully healthy you might trade up and try to get a quarterback in the draft. Because I do think those quarterbacks are going to be like, you know, kind of top 10 quarterbacks. And, and that's where you feel better about trading up if Jimmy Garoppolo is like just not the same Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, and actually his performance may have a very real impact on what is available to him. If you think about the draft, right? So like if he does come out and he plays a little bit better and things are, you know, a bit better offensively than they have been, um, they probably managed to win a few more games down the stretch here than they would have otherwise. Right. And that's going to obviously put you further down in the draft order. Whereas if, if he comes out and he's bad or he can't really, 
um, you know, fully recover, like maybe you re-injured the ankle and he's just shelved or something like that. And now you're dealing with Mullins and Bethard for the rest of the year. Like good chance that you're not going to win a ton of games in, in that scenario. Right. And so you're going to end up in a better position um, to kind of draft somebody. So like, yeah, he could very much be like kind of playing for his own job in a way, like, you know, where, where like he can make it, like if he comes out and plays really well in this offense as well, and they like actually, make up you know say that this eight team playoff scenario ends up happening and they're trying to make a push for that eight spot or something like that that that's, would be a little surprising at this point like um yeah i mean that that could very much have a real impact on the resources they have available like the avenues that they can pursue in this offseason to add another quarterback and if he does and the Niners are out of striking distance of you know really Zach Wilson or the two the other two good quarterbacks you know Trevor Lawrence uh, and, and Justin Fields, I think at that point you're thinking about maybe free agents, but man, free agents don't look super appetizing this year. And, and generally speaking, you don't find your quarterback in free agency. You find a bridge quarterback in free agency, but you don't find your quarterback in free agency because this year free agency is looking like Dak Prescott, who's likely not going anywhere. Um, not, and not because he can't walk, but just because the Cowboys aren't going to let him get away. Um, you've got Cam. Yeah, yeah, it hurt. It was a bad break. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, it didn't look great. Um, Cam Newton, who you know, yeah, he he similarly inconsistent up and down. And Shanahan has shown that he does not want that kind of quarterback in his system. Philip Rivers, who is pay- playing himself into another year in Indianapolis and maybe another baby. Jameis Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Mitch Trubisky, Andy Dalton. I mean, the, the list kind of goes on and on. Jameis Winston just got beat out by a tight end to play quarterback. Like, this, this, is, <laughs> this is not a solid list of free agents when you're thinking about replacing Jimmy Garoppolo because I think you can go to a different flavor of average, but the goal is to get better than average not to just go for you know from one flavor of average to a different flavor of average. Um and, and so I think if you're thinking about that then then really it's it's in the draft. And if you're gonna draft a quarterback, then you're either trading up for one of what is emerging as kind of the top three, or you think you have a guy in, you know, kind of late first, second round type area. And the Niners have shown that they're very good at, at identifying mid-round quarterbacks like CJ Beathard. I, I think like the the avenues that seem most likely with this team to try and do, I think is is absolutely the draft and then is trade. Um, but the problem with both of those is like they don't have any fucking resources to give up to to make those moves right now. Um, no. They they gave them all away for other like I guess could they in theory like maybe figure out a way to make it work sure but it would be a lot like they would be yeah. giving up a lot and it would probably not be like a great especially moving up in the draft but um yeah and like and also like you know trade is kind of been something that they I think are willing to be aggressive in pursuing right like trades to to get players that they uh, they like and obviously think can help them but you know, quarterbacks better than Jimmy Garoppolo aren't going to be available for trade more than likely. Right. Like, yeah, that's just kind of how it is. You don't want to go, like you mentioned to a different flavor. Like there, there's a large pool of average quarterbacks that are largely dependent on their circumstances. Like I don't think it benefits them to just move on to a different version of that. 
Yeah, and this is why I think the draft is ultimately the way to remedy the situation because you can still keep Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster for one more year. He's under contract for two more years. You can still keep him on the roster for one more year, draft a guy, and his salary is not so onerous that he can't exist with Jimmy Garoppolo for one year, and then off you go. And, and the thing with Jimmy Garoppolo's contract is because he got marathleted, his contract is basically almost scot-free at this point. There's only $2.8 million in amortized bonus, which turns into dead money over the course of the rest of his deal. If the Niners cut him at the end of this year, or they trade him, they see $2.8 million in dead money. But they save, in next year's cap alone, $24.1 million. And this is the only thing where I say they might go to a different flavor of average. If you can go to a different flavor of average and get like, I don't know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, because he's fun as fuck, for like, you know, $12 million, and you can save $10 million, because at this point, we're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo being a bridge quarterback. If you can get another bridge quarterback for a draft pick, you know, and, and wait, you know, a year for that draft pick to develop or five games and two is, you know, situation, then maybe you save that money and you apply it elsewhere, like to a left tackle or to a cornerback. You know, can those resources be better spent somewhere else? If, if you're recognizing that Garoppolo is one flavor of average, but this other flavor of average saves you $12 million, then maybe that's something that you consider. Yeah, I, I think um, that is definitely something that needs to be more on the table with the changing cap reality, right? I think like knowing this organization right now, if, if the cap had continued to go up like in the way that it was expected to before COVID and everything happened, like um, I don't think that that's a move they would make. Like they would, Shanahan, I feel like is very much a guy that would want to stick with the known commodity rather than pivot to something totally. that like, right. Like a Ryan Fitzpatrick, right. That's like a high variance guy. So he would absolutely do, but yeah, it, like in, in a situation now where, um, you like don't have a lot of cap space, um, and the, the cap isn't going to grow and you're kind of in this tough situation there, like. Um, yeah, I, I, I would under, absolutely understand like a move to do that, uh, especially if you could get, I mean, I don't know, like it's tough because these quarterbacks, especially like, it's not like it's a weak quarterback class at the top, right? Like Trevor Lawrence, people have been waiting for Trevor Lawrence to get to the fucking pros since like the moment that he's like, even before he stepped foot, uh, on a field at Clemson. Right. So like there's, there's some good players there that like, I don't think teams are going to be willing to say like. Ah, uh, we're not in love with these guys. Like, let's take Jimmy Garoppolo and some picks, and and we'll like go that direction instead. So I don't know. Yeah, I think that you mentioned something about Shanahan going with the known quantity that speaks to Shanahan's general kind of conservative bent, which is something that rears its head again in the next self scouting topic that we're going to address, which is fourth downs, aggressiveness on fourth downs, and play selection on fourth downs. But before we get to fourth downs, we're gonna hear just a bit from our sponsors because this podcast is brought to you by Indeed. 2020 has already shaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly. 
so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. David, I once worked at a company and a woman uh, was making the what she called, and this is in 2018, the monster.com of job sites for CEOs in Canada. And I'm like, can we have a conversation about a concept called total addressable market? You've, you've limited your scope to CEOs in Canada. And, and then in 2018, you're saying you want to be monster.com, which may have been the play like in 2005, but this is not 05. This is what I think of when I hear job sites. <laughs> you know, unlike other sites like the monster.com of Canada, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on, on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Do you think the 49ers could hire a quarterback on Indeed.com? The amount of cap space that they have available, they should probably look into it. Yeah, they could they could get a short list of quarterbacks based on some traits. Trait number one, throw the ball farther than 15 yards. Trait number two, see linebackers. <laughs> and now Indeed's new way of matching candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates. I did that part. But this part, I've got to read it just as is. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. This pod is also brought to you by Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment, or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. Because the 49ers might finally get to see a healthy offense this year, and we can pine about what could have been, the things we have to look forward to. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day even when Nick Mullins is getting blown up on quarterback sneaks. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. David, I'm so curious about the people who fast-forwarded through the ads. And they're like, man, I had to mash that button a few times, not understanding that I was throwing in some jokes. I was, I was throwing some heaters. Gotta, you got to stay tuned for those jokes. <laughs> All right, and, quick of hits. course, the ads, because we have excellent sponsors. Because we like to get paid. Uh, quick hits, David. The 49ers have morphed into a three-coverage team. What are those three coverages on defense? Uh, so obviously we all know cover three, right? They're still doing that about a third of the time, which is is good for eighth in the league. But we have seen them mix in now uh, a pair of two high coverages, cover four and cover six, about the same amount. So they, they are basically a top quarter of the league team in each of those coverages. And that really is the wide majority of what they're doing defensively. You know, you have you have 
plays in here that you're mixing some other stuff in, but that is really the core of what they're doing, and they're they're mixing through those three coverages uh, as the base of what we're seeing from them defensively. So what you're saying is that they r- they run cover three 33 percent of the time, and they Good. run yep. and they run quarters roughly a quarter of their snaps. About a quarter of the time, and they run cover six. It's not close to a sixth, but I was really hoping that it was like a sixth six times snaps. two is twelve, is. which is twelve yes. percent, which is what uh, what they run cover six. So there you go. Score Agami. Uh, yeah, one sixth is sixteen percent. They run cover six at twelve percent. I almost made it work. Almost made it work. Robert Sala, help me out. Uh, let's check in on the Niners manufacturing some pressure. They don't have any pass rushers. Kerry Hyder is the darling of the 49ers pass rush this year. Uh, but they're still manufacturing pressure. They're 10th in blitz rate and 6th in stunt rate. They are blitzing and stunting and blitzing and stunting and trying to get to your quarterback. <laughs> they are trying their damnedest. Uh, offensively, like this isn't a surprise, but I think is just kind of always um, something that's interesting and worth noting about Shanahan's offense. The 49ers uh, continue to pace the league in the frequency with which they are using shifts and motion basically three quarters of their plays 74.4 percent of their offensive plays feature some sort of shift or motion before the snap um that is the highest mark in the league yeah moving it uh the 49ers though don't lead the league in 21 personnel usage that's something that oftentimes gets slapped to the 49ers this year they are second knocked off the perch 32.1 percent of their snaps are in 21 personnel uh, guess who is first? Listeners, close your eyes. Think about it. Who do you think is first? Report your answers. David, who's the first? Patriots, of course. Damn right it is. Uh, although with Rex Brookhead, uh, you know, having one less knee, uh, that might change. Yeah, that was it. Was a bad week for knee injuries. Joe Burrow, Rex Brookhead, like just not, not good, not good. That Burrow uh, play was was bad that was very gross to watch nothing i feel like uh Bengals have real bad injury luck with yeah star rookie quarterbacks and their knees yeah, yeah not great not great indeed uh but overall when it comes to production the teams still rank fairly well when it comes to epa per play on offense they're 16th just about average and on defense they're 12th which is kind of what we expected we knew they were going to regress on defense and we said they, they, if they, even if they regressed and they were top 10, that would be good enough as long as their offense took a step forward. But their offense regressed even harder than the defense. <laughs> and so here we are. I mean, I think the, the takeaways, right, like is two things. Like the injuries, uh, I, I think it's just impressive overall, like how well they have continued to like play with all of these injuries. Like they, they've just been dealt... Uh, the worst possible fucking hand when it comes to injury luck. And and it's unreasonable to expect them to do basically any more than what they're doing. But I think the fact that they still are, are like trotting out an average offense um, speaks to, I think, Shanahan's ability, right, as, as an offensive mind and play caller and um, what they've been able to do defensively and, and still like, you know, expected regression, but also like losing several of your best players on on that side of the ball as well. Like, uh, I think overall has been impressive and like, yeah, obviously they they've had some bad moments here and there and stuff, but the, the defense especially I think is, is been, uh, impressive in their ability to like still be competent and solid on that side of the ball with what they're dealing with. 
and they've played Seattle once. They've played the Rams once. They've played the Cardinals once. They've played Miami and gave up like, you know, 97 points to Miami. I mean, this is still <laughs> all of all of that notwithstanding. You know, I think I, I often think to myself about the the weight of expectations. And this team, I have friends that have been lifelong Browns fans and they're losing their fucking mind because the Browns are, you know, they have seven wins this year, whatever the hell they're at. And, and they haven't seen seven wins this early, you know, since, I don't know, Kyle Shanahan. And, and, and so I, and, and I'm, and I'm over here sitting here like, you know, oh my God, we're near 500 and this season's a fucking waste. Um, and, and both of those things are true. And the, and the only difference is really like expectations, right? It's what you expect out of a team and out of a season that drives how you feel about that season. And, and the Niners could end this year 8-8. Eight and, eight, and, and it will be a massive disappointment based on what the Niners could have been or maybe should have been were they not bitten by the injury bug and had a slightly better quarterback. And yet there are lots of teams that would murder for 8-8. Eight eight. I mean, it's... Uh... It, that expectations is is the the thief of joy sometimes you know i think it there, is. there are definitely like um moments while we've been doing this podcast where we would have loved a fucking eight and eight team but hey that's not <laughs> uh that's not where we're at right now you know you gave us no. a taste of that super bowl and and uh that's what we're expecting to get back to and it's just been a tough season to get through I want more of that sweet tin drug injected yeah. right into my veins right into my veins uh which is why we're going to talk about fourth downs because I want more out of fourth downs. I've been talking about fourth downs this season, and I've taken aim at Shanahan's fourth down play calls, not just because I think they're too conservative, but I also think that he is too conservative in his aggression and going for them on fourth downs. And much as we do here on the Better Rivals podcast, we thought to ourselves, okay, I'm a fan. I react in the moment. I see an inside handoff. I say, fuck you. But what's... <laughs> But, but what but what is actually the case here? What is actually happening over the course of Shanahan's career as a fourth down play caller? So we went back. We went and looked at all of his fourth down plays to see what is really there, both in terms of play call and in terms of effectiveness. And what we found, you know, actually changed my opinion a little bit about Shanahan as a play caller and on what he's trying to do on fourth down. Uh, and we found some other kind of interesting bits in there uh, that that I think help explain why Shanahan calls the game the way that he does. So, so I think for starters, right, like just the overall aggressiveness during that span, I think is more aggressive than than we expected, right? So they they ended up at what 18th tier. So like they're, they're largely middle of the pack. Like they're they're in a large group of of teams like right around league average um, in terms of aggression, which is is more aggressive than I think. You know, obviously, we anticipated in that situation. Um, I think the the interesting thing, though, that that we ended up pulling out that you found in there was uh, how much more aggressive they were last season compared to maybe some of the other seasons, right? And I, I think it speaks to Shanahan's mindset and when he's going to decide to be aggressive, right? Because I think when when you look at these fourth down play calls, you can look at it from two different perspectives, right? Like. Uh, I, I think a lot of people see it as like, okay, I have if I have a really good team, I should be more confident in putting my good team out there on fourth down, right? Because I have a better offense, so that seems like I should be more likely to convert in those situations. Um, 
If I have a great defense, right, like the 49ers did last season, well, if I fail, like I can lean on that great defense to kind of bail me out, um, you know, from from that uh, failed conversion attempt. And, and so I think that's kind of like where a lot, a lot of people default to thinking you should be more aggressive. And that actually kind of seems to be where Shanahan's at as well. I just don't know that that is necessarily the right mindset to have. Yeah, if you look at his aggressiveness over the course of his career in San Francisco, he has gotten more aggressive as his offense has improved. His aggressiveness rate in 2017 and 2018 were, were fairly low. His go rate in both of those years was below 20% and in one case below 15%. And go rate is basically how often we think you should go for it in situations where you're going to maximize points using a, a model that Brian Burke developed who does some really wonderful stuff with numbers when it comes to kind of probability. And he really did a lot of work at advancing expected points and expected points added. It's a really, really good model. And, and when you think of basically how often Shanahan aligns with that model, you're talking about, you know, sub 20% in 2017, 2018, when you're talking about the Brian Hoyer led and, and CJ Beathard led 49ers. All of a sudden in 2019, that jumps up to above 40%, almost at 50% which puts him right kind of in, in line with where you would think like, oh yeah, you might actually be aggressive as a head coach. There weren't many teams that were more aggressive than Shanahan were in 2019. And now that the offense is, is worse with a worse quarterback, that's dipped down a little bit. It hasn't dipped down to 2017, 2018 levels, but it's actually down below 40%. And I just think that it speaks to Kyle Shanahan's conservatism in general. I think it is a conservative person who thinks to themselves, I'm only going to do something if I'm guaranteed that I'm going to succeed. Because risk means being okay with not getting it. And risk means being okay with, yeah, sometimes you're going to win, sometimes you're going to lose, but on aggregate, I know I'm going to win. And, and you seek the reward, right? No risk it, no biscuit. It's like the antithesis of the, the offense that you're trying to run in Tampa Bay. And and I and I just think that it, it's not necessarily inherently bad, especially if your offense is humming. But I, I think the, the, the profile of person that I think that Kyle Shanahan is, is I think that he is someone who does a lot of things very, very well, including call plays and design plays and do lots of things. But I do think at his core, he's a conservative kind of person when it comes to this kind of stuff. And he's not going to get aggressive unless he thinks that he is either has a high probability of getting it or is going to be covered by his defense if he fails. And I think that is still important when you're bad, right? So like, it's not just a thing that only good teams should do. And and, and I don't mean this to say like, you shouldn't factor in the, the game situation and who you're playing against and, and how good your offense is, right? Like, I, I think some of these things do definitely factor in and help you determine what your, I guess, like expected rate of success is going to be in that situation. But when you're you're not very good, you you need to go for it still, but for a different reason, right? It's because you need extra opportunities to score points. So if you find yourself in a situation where you have a fourth and short and you're in opponent territory, if you're not a very good offense, like 
who knows when the next time you're going to get to opponent territory is going to be like you need to really do everything that you can to maximize that opportunity there and and that means going for it so that hopefully I can get seven points instead of three right like because I know that that my chances of getting back there and getting another touchdown might not be very good over the rest of the game depending on where we're at right so I think it's it's a strategy that that shouldn't be solely dictated by the strength of your offense, right? It, it needs to be something like uh, that. That I think largely is is the way we're going as an NFL group as a whole. Like with the, the way we're seeing teams trend, right? Is is everybody is starting to go for it in more of these like I think obvious situations. It's the fourth and ones and the fourth and twos in opponent territory, right? That that should really be no brainers at this point. Like it shouldn't really be much thought as to whether you're going to go for that unless it's a super late you know game situation where you're you're really at that point gunning for a specific score right you know that okay I'm down this amount I need a field goal right now to win or something like that like that's a different scenario but otherwise like in normal game situations like that should just be a no-brainer go for it call and we're not seeing that from him and relative to your peers is kind of important because if your peers are all scoring more points because they are more aggressive on fourth downs then even if you are marginally more aggressive you're still not going to be you're not going to keep pace with everyone else in the NFL who's scoring more points as a result of more aggressive fourth down calls but i was surprised to see Shanahan be kind of middle of the pack aggressive i expected him to be in the bottom third of the league or maybe even the bottom quartile of the league i was surprised to see him in the middle of the league it was interesting to see that his aggressiveness did increase with a better offense. But when it comes to play calling, it turns out my suspicion was borne out. They do love to run on fourth and one a lot. And if they don't see fourth and one, if you're kind of going for it on fourth and two or more, then they tend to pass the ball. In 2020 alone, if we're zooming into kind of this year specifically, which is the year that kind of bore a lot of my frustration. They've run the ball on five of eight fourth and shorts, which is fourth and two, 62.5%. If you just take fourth and ones, they run it every single time. They don't really throw it on fourth down when you're looking at one yard. Uh, and, and that, I think, is kind of a mistake, but it's a mistake you know, in a team that I think... I think Shanahan knows that maybe running the ball is the best thing the Niners do when Mullins is under center, and sometimes maybe when Garoppolo is under center. <laughs> so so you run the ball <laughs> yeah I, and like and i think it's it's interesting that like so we're talking about right these short situations and and i think it's important to point out that like the league as a whole um you know does tend to lean more run in in these situations right when you only like when you talk about you know we obviously joke a lot about running backs don't matter and the running game doesn't matter and things like that like Short yardage is one of the only areas where the run game is important, right? And, and sometimes it it does make more sense to run the ball than it is to pass it. And and so, yeah, we, once you get beyond that fourth and one marker and, and it does get to a more passing situation, like for the 49ers, it really is a fourth and one or fourth and two. Like they just don't go for it often when it's when it's more than that. So I was like looking if it's between three and six yards um, since 2017, and and this is kind of eliminating these garbage time situations late when they're down by a bunch or the two-minute drill situations, only six times that they've gone for it, right? So they're not in a lot of situations where it does make sense to pass, which I, I think is important to call out, but they do have definitely a few tendencies with those run plays that they go on. And I think it was a little bit surprising in that 
as a zone team, right? A primarily zone team. Everybody knows the zone blocking scheme and and that being tied to, to Shanahan. They really go more towards the man schemes and the gap schemes, the power and counter stuff um, is what they go to in these short yardage situations. They really haven't used zone in these situations uh, at all since his first season there. Yeah, that is one thing that I thought was surprising because it, I thought, especially when you look at on the TV tape, it does look a lot like running inside zone is them just kind of smashing in the middle of the line and ends up failing and you're like, oh crap, that sucks. But when you look at the, the all 22, you realize, oh, these are actually some man blocking schemes. And and I oftentimes have trouble di- kind of differentiating between the two. You know, what is zone? What is man? And and it's we, we do we review most of these plays actually on the Patreon and we have a video detailing them. But if you are not going to watch the video on Patreon, really, the difference is the movement of the offensive line at the snap. And especially if you've got linemen moving against the grain of the play at the snap that usually can indicate that it's going to be, you know, not zone, but more than likely man. And, and when you, when they do run man, they actually ran an off tackle version of man that they've run over the course of Shanahan's tenure here for the San Francisco 49ers. And it really is an off tackle run. So it's not an inside run, but it's an off tackle run. So similar to kind of Shanahan's aggressiveness, yeah, I kind of had to check this idea of them always running inside zone because it looks like inside zone when I watch <laughs> it on TV. And I'm like, oh, God damn it, inside zone again. Fuck you. Um, but it, it really is an off-tackle man-blocking scheme run, which like, I get the theory behind it, right? Ultimately, what you're trying to do is you're just trying to get a double team at the point of attack and then get a kick-out block and open up a quick hole with like five dudes. Instead of running, like thinking about the whole 11 working in concert, you're, you're, you're targeting one side of the line and you're saying, I need you to move like two or three people to get this yard. The logic makes sense. Right. And I think that's like an important point as to why they lean so heavily that direction in these short yard situations, right? Because when, when you go to your fourth and one, the play call you're making is literally just to get that one yard, right? You're you're not really making a play call. Like if it's the first and 10, yeah, you might call a run expecting to only get four or five yards. But like, I think especially Shanahan and, and you know, what they do in generating explosive plays typically in, in the run game or what they've been able to do over his tenure there, like they do want to hit the big play, right? Like they do want to, you're, you're making a call, you're designing the run game in those situations in hopes of kind of springing a big play. And that kind of goes out the window. Like if you get it, obviously in fourth and short, like that's awesome. Um, but, but that's not like the goal of the play. And so when you look at these man and gap schemes, a lot of times, um, it, I think basically every time with the way that they're running it in, in these situations, you are getting that double team. So it's just about creating a little bit of movement at the point of attack and getting enough crease for that back to fall forward for a yard, right? And, and the kind of the angles and the way that they get set up in those man and gap scheme runs are just like, I think a little bit easier to more consistently get that little bit of movement that you need um, to convert in those situations. So by and large, when I go back and I think about Shanahan as a fourth down play caller, turns out he's a bit more aggressive than I would have given him credit for. So I've got to, I've got to cool my jets there. I'm going to start making the amends on Twitter. Yes. Uh, and, and it turns out that, you know, he is more aggressive based on whether or not he thinks his offense can get it. And he does love to run a lot, which I still like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like running is more common in those situations. It makes a lot of sense. 
Um, and, and I did also have to check myself on him thinking he just runs it inside all the time. He doesn't do that. You know, this, this is why we go back and look. This is why I just don't go with my gut reaction. I'm often wrong when I go with my <laughs> gut reaction. I think this most is, of us are. This is why. This is why we're here, David. We're here to look. We're here to examine. We're here to make sure that the bullshit that we spread on game day <laughs> gets retweeted as often as possible. Uh, but then we correct it on the pod. Uh, I know we've got just a couple of moments to talk about the Rams game that's upcoming. It's going to be a game. I'm going to turn this into a lightning round because we've got just a couple of minutes left. Um, the Niners are getting reinforcements because players are coming back. Um, you've got someone like Mostert and you've got someone like Wilson who are likely coming back. Sherman also may be coming back. Uh, let's go with uh, which player you think is going to be more impactful of those three. Go. Not a running back, so I'm going to go Sherman. <laughs> I should have known. But the Niners were dead last in explosive run rate this year, which is unlike the Niners in general. You don't think it's going to be Mostert? Uh, so, I mean, it's fair. Like, look, this isn't lightning round uh, style answer here, but right the last year, last year, the reason their run game was successful wasn't because they were consistently getting four, five, six yards. That wasn't the type of run game they had. They were getting a lot of still like one yard gains, two yard gains, stopped at the line of scrimmage, right? But then they would break a huge run and and pick up this large chunk of yardage. And I think they kind of thought that it was worth it, right? And you can generate those big plays. Like you can for, forgive a lot, you know, of the failures essentially. And that has not been there. So we've really seen just kind of the, the, the bad shitty remnants of what that run game is so far this season. So, I mean, I could see most are like, if you feel like the offensive line is blocking up more than that, right? The difference between a fast running back like Mostert and, and just maybe what they've had in there so far, which I mean, I don't know, all those guys have speed, but it is, is like Mostert is only going to be able to take like those three, four yards, right? His speed can, can turn those into the big yard gains, right? The, the 15, the 20, the plus yard, um, gains because he can get through there quicker and get into the second level, third level of the defense a little bit faster. And so like, I don't know, maybe he can spring one or two, but I still don't think like ultimately a running back is going to have a, a difference, like, or is going to make a difference enough to like change the outcome of this game. Let's say Sherman comes back and he is active against the Rams who starts opposite Sherman. I feel like the way that they have approached um, a lot of their coverages this season tells me Mosley. I, I really, it seems like they think Mosley is the better guy. They tend to be more willing to leave him on an island. Interesting. I would have said Verrett. I think uh, I would probably, I mean, I don't know. It's it's really close. Like, I, I think I might lean Verrett if I had to make the decision. But it's a lightning I, round, Newman. I'm not good at lightning rounds. Sorry. <laughs> Last game, Aaron Donald was blanked. He was shut down by the 49ers offensive line. Does uh, over under two sacks for Aaron Donald this game. What are you taking? I don't like unders, and uh, I certainly don't like unders related to Aaron Donald. So I would not bet again. Like, he, he feels like he maybe he's just going to make up for last game, right? I need to get three this game. So it works out to like one and a half each. Sure. You had two receivers for the Rams. 
go over 100 yards against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You had Cooper Cup and uh, Bobby Trees, both over 100 yards. Do the Rams have, uh, or rather over under, number of 100-yard receivers for the Rams? The line is set at one. Half in here, you know? Like I, I I'm making it hard. The house wins. I'm the house. I win all yeah. the time. I mean, I'm not going to go zero. I'm definitely not going zero. Um, I, I think one is like the likely. Like, I, so I, I, I yeah. I mean, it's bullshit. <laughs> um, yeah. If you set that at one and a half, I'll go under. I'll go under with one. Which one? I don't fucking know. Is it the slot? Because Cooper Cup is in the slot, and he was roasting DBs in that game for Tampa Bay, and K1 Williams not playing because he cheated. He was suspended two games for violating the substance abuse policy. His, it's his first offense. His agent said he likely took a supplement that had a banned substance in it. Uh, I totally get it. Got to get them pre-workout gains with two Zs. Uh, and that means your you know, pre-workout whatever probably has some measure of amphetamine. I mean, has anyone ever taken one of those and not felt like they've taken an amphetamine is all I'm saying. But... It's uh yeah, so he's not gonna be in the slot. It's gonna be uh, Jamar Taylor. Yeah, I mean, I think the slot in general seems to be a, a good spot to target because you know, and, and like, look, even if K1 was in there, he's not gonna match up with him uh, with Cup like a hundred percent of the time, right? We just talked about their coverages. It's a lot of zone. Um, there's not a ton of man-to-man coverage that they're playing. And so that means that with their match rules and everything, like it's going to depend on the routes that he's running and you're going to see all manner of slot corners, linebackers, safeties. They're going to have their hand at, at defending Cooper cup. And I think, um, non Fred Warner division, those are the defenders, especially if, you know, if I got Richard Sherman back and we expect him to be, um, you know, at least solid, if not, you know, what he was last season. So, um, I think the outside tends to be right now the strength of, you know, kind of that coverage unit. And so if I were to go after someone, it would be the safeties and those other linebackers. Last question in this impromptu lightning round. You had a game plan from Cal Shanahan that was probably his best game plan in the 2020 season. It was attacking the edges, getting outside the hard edges set from the Rams defense in the run game and basically getting run plays out to the edge via your wide receivers or running backs running, uh, you know, kind of turning short passes into runs. Do we see a similar game plan? Do you see Shanahan try to run it back? Or does he attack the Rams in some other way? I mean, like, you know, look, this seems to be a good Shanahan game potentially because I, I think they start with a lot of the same stuff, right? But again, we know he likes to layer these adjustments and and I think he, he's going to I think we see some things that look very similar because, yeah, that that game plan against the Rams, right, was was very specific. And it was like, we're going to do some things to really get outside, even though we know you want to keep us from getting outside. And so I think they they show a lot of those same type of looks. But I think we're going to see some things that maybe build off of that, that maybe look to get more the middle of the field, right? Where if you have a Rams defense primed for, okay, we, we've studied this film. We recognize this formation. We recognize this motion. We're going to fly out to the edge. What does Shanahan like have to, to build on that to get somebody free in that extra space that's now created in the middle? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's going to be a good plan or a good time to watch Shanahan work. I'm really interested to see what he's going to do against the Rams. And if the Niners win, they'll be straight on their path to 8-8. Eight eight. It's going to be great. 
could not, would not want to wait until the end of the season. That's all I'm saying. That about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. David, we're working. No, we we have to we have to settle on your Patreon. What's what's going to be? Man, your don't page? follow me on Twitter. I don't even have. I don't even think I have the Twitter app installed on my phone right now. Is where I'm at with Twitter. All right, so like, go to Patreon.com/slash/BetterRivals. Go ahead and and smash that. Uh, you know what is it? Subscribe or you know you're gonna whatever. No, you're gonna buy pay us, us like five bucks and be, buy us a beer, and you're gonna watch some cool videos, and uh, that's gonna be what you do instead. Yeah, this week uh, I drank a hazy IPA. It was delicious. Uh, had milkshake IPAs. David, you had your first milkshake IPA yeah. uh, when I came over to watch the game last week. It, it was, was good. Uh, thanks, thanks to Derek. Derek for suggesting the the, the milkshake IPA and donating five dollars to allow us to buy that milkshake IPA and watch the Niners get the, the shit kicked out of them uh, in New Orleans. That was fun. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Better Rivals. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, go Niners. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.